The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. I will be reading verses 7 through 11. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So, Lord, we come again another Sunday, and we are trusting you through your word and by your spirit to make much of your son Jesus to us, to see in him what true love is, and to have that true love by the power of your spirit exhort our own hearts and empower our own hearts to love like our Savior. So please come now and be with us, be among us, comfort us, convict us, encourage us, exhort us that we leave here a people more like Jesus because we've gazed upon His glory and been transformed from one degree of glory to the next into the same image by the power of Your Spirit. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this series called Citizens and Sojourners, and we are still talking about what it means to be a people in Christ, a saved people, an adopted people, an empowered people, our union with Christ, filling us with the Spirit to walk like Christ, living in a place that's not yet home. And so we want to see our deepest identity in Jesus and then always be looking around and saying, what, what are you calling us to? What are you calling us to as, as a people and as a place? And we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about the great commands and the great commission. We've talked about reaching our neighbors and the nations. We've talked about continuing to learn that we might see Jesus more clearly, that we might speak of Jesus more clearly. So hopefully you're getting an idea of just what our heart is, hopefully beating in step with the heart of the Scriptures, of what we hope that the power and presence of Jesus will do in us and then among us as a people, both near and far. And we're just laying the Scriptures before you. We haven't said anything new. We haven't said anything novel. We're just laying these really simple and profound texts before you and saying, oh God, would you do something 
like you command? Would you empower what you command among us? So today, we're going to talk about another sustaining and foundational reality of being a family in Christ. In fact, in some ways, the amount and the way Jesus talks about it is most foundational. So let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you today, how in this day and age will the world around us know that we are followers of Jesus? What would you say? What's kind of the first thing that comes to your mind? Now perhaps we could point to certain issues of the day, say, well, there's a dividing line here. Or we could point to various activities we do and say, well, maybe, maybe they'd know us this way. Or perhaps we could point to things we believe, and certainly that has some part, and that has a big part in who we are. And all of those are fair answers. But listen to what Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five. He says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And God's timing is perfect, but last night as I walked into a hospital room and there was some family around a bed and there were, there were nurses around, these people were moved by the love the church had for this particular person. And it wasn't mainly because the pastor showed up. It was mainly because they had heard of the years of care and the years of visit and the years of love. And even in the last several days, visitor after visitor after visitor coming to sit and pray and sing so that the world, family members, nurses, said there's something going on here. People don't have visitors like this that often. So how will all people know that we follow Jesus? By our love for one another. So then we could say, well, how much do we have to love one another? Like, help how much? What about when it's not really convenient? And what about when we, we don't agree? Or what about when the un- other person is kind of unlovable? Right, when I'm kind of just trying to avoid them at church and sneak out a way that I see that they're not headed rather than engage them. And luckily, Jesus doesn't leave us with a squishy, undefined version of love. Here's what he says, the verse right before the one I already read, John 13, 34. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The beauty of the love of Christ is that it doesn't love because something is lovable all the time. It's easy to love lovable things. It's it's simple to love what is lovely. (laughs) Rather, the love of Christ loves even things that are not lovable and makes them more lovely, more like Jesus through that love. So one of our most important strategies for outreach and evangelism and witness in these South Cities is to have a fierce Jesus-like love for one another. 
In other words, we don't have to always do this game. We're going to do in-reach, love for one another, outreach, love for them. You're just going to be a Christian. (laughs) It's going to be a Christian living with your brothers and sisters this way, living in your neighborhoods, walking near with Jesus, and the world's going to see Jesus by grace. The way we identify ourselves to the world as followers of Jesus, according to Jesus, is to love God's people the way Jesus loved them. So let's look and see what that means. Point number one, God is love and love is from God. Read verses seven to eight with me again. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In other places, John will say it like this. If anyone says he loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar. In other words, if you you don't find in yourself a a love for the, the people of God, a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you say, but yeah, but I mean, that's because they're dumb. That's because they're unlovable. But yeah, I love God. John's going to say you're not, you're not telling yourself the truth. This verse, these verses are packed. Here we start, though, by hearing the Apostle John repeat the words he heard from Jesus. Notice, he says, those who are loved, the beloved of God, they ought to love. The beloved ought to love. Those loved by God ought to love one another. In other words, he's saying you're loved by God. He's your father. So love each other as brothers and sisters. And then he says, God is love. So what does that mean? Well, it means that part of God's very nature is caught up in love. Now some of you are more introverted and some of you are more extroverted. But all human beings are meant to be relational. In other words, human beings flourish most and best when they are loving and being loved. Right? Some of you want to be loved and love every, everyone, right? You want to go, like Nick Rowan likes to go to the Mall of America and walk around just to be with people, right? I don't get that, right? I want to run away from the Mall of America. So there's introverts and there's extroverts, but all human beings flourish most when they're loved and loving. Have you ever stopped to think, why is that? Why are people like that? Well, it's because God is love and we're made in his image and therefore we love and we need to love, right? The God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, think about this, from before the world began have enjoyed each other's infinite perfections from before the foundation of the world. In other words, before anything else was created, God, this three-in-one God, was enjoying himself across the different persons of the Trinity. Our God has always been one God in three persons. Our God has always been relational within himself in three persons and has always had in his very nature love. God is love. And one of my professors in seminary said it this way, the love of the triune God was so good that they decided to take the show on the road. 
Right? They said to take the show on the road and draw people into this love for all of eternity. In fact, the whole universe was created from this love so that others might be caught up into this love forever to en- enjoy this Trinitarian, this triune God of love for all of eternity. Can you imagine what that means for the world? <laughs> that it was created from this love and to draw others into this love. The nature of the love of God could not stay internal but had to expand to draw others in. And that is why John says here that not only God is love, but all love is from God. I mean, he's the source of it all. He has to be. He was the only one existing in love. Let me put it this way for you kids. Kids, you couldn't create sunlight on your own. There's no way you could just say, I'm going to do a science experiment. I'm going to create sunlight. But when you walk outside, you feel the warmth and the light of the sun. And that's how it is kind of with the love of God. It's like walking outside and saying that all light is from the sun. It's, it's obvious, but you, you feel the effects. And it's obvious, but you maybe don't think about it all that much because you're so used to it. God, the creator of all things, the one in whose image we are made is love, and all of our true love that draws people into that eternal love will come from him and point back to him as his love fills and energizes us to love. In other words, as we experience the love of God, like we experience the warmth and light of the sun, we don't praise the warmth and the light. We say, so glad there's a sun. So glad there's a sun to give light and give warmth today. It's like we are little solar panels made to soak in God's love. And then as that love comes into us and fills us, it actually flows out of us to bring power and light and love to wherever we are. If you never saw the sun, you would never know light or heat. If there was no sun, solar panels would be useless. And in this way, we who are made in God's image are meant to be like Him and all true love between us must come from Him. So then the question is, how will we be able to love like Him and how will we know what that love is like? In other words, love can sound just kind of squishy and unsure. Okay, so God is love and all love is from Him and that's who He is. We're made in His image and we're supposed to love. That feels still kind of vague, right? What does it mean to love like God? Well, the Apostle John is not vague. So point number two, God showed us self-giving love in Jesus. Read verses 9 to 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, here's how the love of God showed up so that we could see it and we wouldn't mistake it for anything else. Here's where it came. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So here we see two things. Number one, we see how we have access 
into this love of God? How do, we, how do we get in there, right? If you saw eternal joy and pleasure and love and you could see it and you say, I want in, I want to get in there, I want to be a part of that now and forever, this shows us how do I get in there. And then it also defines what is it like? What's this love like? How should I love like God? So here we see how we have access first. The love of God was made manifest among us by God sending His only Son into the messy, broken sinfulness of our world that we might live through Him. In other words, we were dead in our sins. We were blinded to the light of the God who is love. And God made His love visible and clear and flesh and bone by sending His Son into the world to save sinners, to save rebels that would never have seen the light, to shine the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ into the darkness that we could see and believe and be caught up to enjoy God forever. Well, how did He do that? What were the particulars of His sending His Son? Well, it says the Father sent the Son He loved into the world, not just to hang out and eat with people and show them this is kind of what it looks like to be nice, but to be a propitiation for our sins. That means we deserve to die. We deserve eternal punishment for our sins against the Holy God. And Jesus, having never sinned, took our place in receiving the penalty of death for our sins. And that's the mechanism by which we are drawn into this love. Isn't that amazing? The way we get drawn in is not by learning some more things, not by checking off boxes, not by doing better. In this is love. In other words, here's the source of love. Here's how you get brought into love. Not by you first loving God. You're going to love God. That's what he's going to do. But because he first loved you, because he was a sacrifice for your sins, that's how you get into this love. That's where this love originates from. We aren't drawn into love because somehow we get smart or we make ourselves more spiritually sensitive to see the light of God's love. Rather, we were blind and dead and headed towards darkness and wrath, but God sent His Son to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve to die and rise again from the dead to save us from the blindness and deadness of our sins, to take our place so that we could be drawn into the love of God now and forever. That's how we get in, right? That's how we get in. That's basic Sunday school gospel news that I hope is still really good news to you. And that's why the Bible talks about it over and over and over again because it's foundational. It's who we are. It's where our identity is. We don't earn this thing. We're drawn into it by the expansive love of God and the sacrifice of Christ. And then in Jesus, we get to see, it's manifest to us, Three aspects of the love of God. And we get to see way more than that, but I'm going to pick three of them for this sermon. The first thing we see here is that this love is an expansive, unstoppable, even in the face of suffering and death kind of love. This love of God by its very nature had to go out and draw others in. Had to go out and draw others in. In other words, kids, we could say, why does a fountain, have you ever seen those fountains 
and there's coins at the bottom of them. You ask your mom and dad if you can take some. They say, no, you can't take any. People throw them in there, and you don't really understand that. Well, why does that fountain keep flowing? Because it's a fountain, right? That's what fountains do, right? And why does God's love overflow? Because that's who God is. It's part of who he is to overflow to others and draw them in. So it's Love is expansive, always reaching out to draw others in. Second, it's self-giving and costly in nature. God gave up His only Son. He sent Jesus because of the great love He had for us. And God the Father and God the Son were united in their plan to bring others into their eternal joy and love through a costly, self-giving sacrifice. In other words, this kind of love moves towards need. This kind of love moves towards messy places and hard spaces. It moves towards it to give of itself that others might be made whole. It moves towards unloveliness and unworthiness and makes those who receive the love more lovely and completely worthy in Christ. Right? This is the kind of love that doesn't run away from hard things and messy things, but moves towards it. And kids, you know this, even as you watch movies. In every movie that's out there, the hero is normally who? Good the good guy. What do they do, right? The hero is normally someone who risks their own life to save others. Why do we love those stories so much? It's almost like it's built into the very fabric of the universe. That there is a hero who's going to come and give of himself to draw others in, to save others. All good stories point to the kind of love that we see in Jesus Christ. So it's expansive, it's costly and self-giving. And third, it's Godward in nature. It's Godward in nature. Yes, we are rescued. (laughs) And we get life and light instead of darkness and death. But as Jesus saves a people, he saves them to draw them to God. He doesn't just save them and leave them there. He saves them and he draws them to God. He he brings them in. All true Christian love will aim to help other people see and love God as it expands and moves towards need. It doesn't just aim to see a need met, but it aims to help others see that all our ultimate needs are met in the love of God in Christ Jesus. So it's expansive. It moves towards need and self-giving costly love and it aims to point God were to draw other people into something bigger than itself, namely the love of the triune God forever. If in Jesus we're brought from death to life and our sins are forgiven, that we might fellowship. And in Jesus we see what the love of God is like. We get a picture of it. Expansive, self-giving, costly, and ending in people seeing and enjoying God as the most precious thing in the universe. Point number three, we're empowered to self-giving love. When I read the Bible uh, and I, I just see this, this landscape laid out, I see Jesus, I see the triune God, I can just get to a place where I can feel defeated. <laughs> like, man, that's not, that's not me. Like, sometimes my heart wants to run away from messy. Right? Sometimes my heart wants to run away from hard. Sometimes I just want to avoid it. This kind of love, in other words, is not always like the default in our sinful, fallen nature. It's so much 
easier to be self-protective than self-giving. I mean, isn't it? Isn't it just easier? Like, oh, that's going to hurt, right? It's going to hurt. Or, oh, they're going to say that thing I know they're going to say again. Or, oh, I'm still mad at them. And it's just easier to avoid than have that conversation. It's so much easier to be self-protective than self-giving. It's so much easier to stay safe and secure than to move toward what feels like risky and dangerous need. It's so much easier to love things that seem lovely and worthy rather than move toward what is unlovely and seek to see the love of Christ make it lovely. Right? It's easy to move towards things that are ready-made and happy and good and make you feel good things. It's, it's harder to move towards those things that make you cringe and they're hard and they're frustrating and they take a long time. And yet the world will know us as we love each other like Jesus loved us. That's where we started, so how do we do it? Look at verse 7 with me and then verses 11 to 12. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So in verse 7 and verse 11, we see the same calling, the same command twice. Let us love one another. Verse 7. If God loved us, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 11. But notice, after both of those, there's this immediate statement of empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Right? Whoever loves has been born of God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Those are references to the work of the Holy Spirit to cause us to be born again, to be children of God, and then to dwell inside of us so that God's love is in us to continue working in us and through us to love others. In other words, when, when John says we ought to love one another, let us love one another, he's not saying, hey, Christian, there's a lot of things for you to do and I want to I add a box for you to check off. What he's saying is, this is who you are. This is who you are. Have you been born of God? Have you been born into the family of God? Do you have brothers and sisters in this family? This is who you are. We, we ought to love one another. It's like this invitation pointing to the very empowerment that he's looking for. He's like, we should love one another. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Right? We have the, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to help us move towards the heart and move towards the messy. So the answer to how can we love like this is that we've been taken from the family of darkness and death where bitterness and selfishness and hate reigns and brought into the family of light and life where forgiveness and self-sacrifice and love reigns. We bear the family resemblance because God has changed us and dwells in us. Jesus is our big brother and we just follow in his footsteps in the family resemblance by his spirit. We can love like Jesus because the spirit of Jesus dwells in us. 
if the Holy Spirit stopped empowering us to see Jesus and transform us to take in his love, we couldn't overflow in love to one another. But as the Spirit dwells in us and helps us see the love of Christ, I hope, I hope when you're singing on Sunday morning, I hope when you hear a, a baby announced, I hope when you hear prayer requests for sisters near going home with Jesus, I hope when you hear of needs in your small group, I hope when you hear of messy situations, I hope when you hear of fences that need to be fixed, I hope when you hear of desperate suffering that's intractable, I hope when you hear all that, that the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you does this thing where you look around at your brothers and sisters and find a family affection for them as those saved by grace, adopted into the family and walking towards eternity together. And I hope that as you do, your heart moves towards need. Your heart moves towards messy. Your heart moves towards broken so that we become the display of God's love in our blood-bought, spirit-wrought family and the world looks on and says, what in the world are those people doing? They, they're nothing alike. They, they keep moving towards each other in suffering. They, they show up at the hospital. They, they bring meals. They, they love each other with this kind of unrelenting love. To be a people whose love is expansive, moving outward, moving towards need, self-giving, and pointing ultimately towards Jesus. Yes, these are commands to love one another, but God empowers what he commands. And he does it that we might experience his love among ourselves as a family and so that the world would look and see a picture of God's blood-bought people loving each other. So let's just get really practical here quick. Just a couple minutes and what does this look like? So if we're going to do this, if we're going to love each other, what are some things that just need to begin to happen among us to make it a reality? What are some steps you could take tomorrow and next week and next month to make it happen? So first, I'm going to talk about sharing. So listen to 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9. This is the Apostle Paul, and here's what he says. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What if someone started talking like that in your small group? Or in your Bible study? Right? I just... Wanted to let you know I've been despairing of life itself. I feel like I've received a sentence of death. I want you to know about my affliction, right? Paul says, I want you to, to know about my affliction. But we live in a world where we, we, we're trained to try to manicure and curate life so that our fake life can keep up with this person's fake life that we don't know. And we're going, my life's a mess at home and I'm put up a good picture, but their good picture that they put up, it must be way better, so I better not say anything. Right? We just play these games. Like, they're just games. It's a curated, manicured, safe sanitized existence. It's like Minnesota nice on weird steroids, right? We don't want to be that. Right? The first response when someone says, how are you doing? What's your first response? Either good or busy, right? Both safe. Oh, they're busy. I don't want to hear about all that. I'm going to get out of that conversation quick. 
But if we're going to be a place where we love like Jesus, we're going to have to talk to each other. We're going to have to be real with each other. Paul, who's an apostle, wasn't afraid to admit his afflictions, his burdens, his weakness, his depression, his hopelessness. Why are we so afraid of that? Why? What's going on in us that makes us have to go, look at me. I'm doing okay. I'm good. I'm busy. That means I'm tired. That means I got to keep going and we can't talk very much. Right? Don't look too far behind the curtain. Right? How, how many of us just got frustrated with our family or friends on our way to church? Or right before we left the church, right? It's like, kids, you have three minutes to finish your cereal. Why? Because dad's got to preach. <laughs> right? What are you preaching on? Loving one another? Right? I mean, this is, this is just who we are. Like, this is the, the frustration. We try to manicure to make it better. And it's just not true. It's just not real. For expansive, self-giving, Godward love to happen, you're going to have to let some people in on the stuff. And I know this is scary, and the reason it's scary is because no one in here is actually Jesus. So when you share, there are going to be moments where you get hurt, where we fail each other. But when we do, there is opportunity for forgiveness and grace and restoration because the Spirit lives in us again and again to show the world a different, self-giving, enduring, forgiving kind of love that shows we follow Jesus. So it's great to talk about love, self-giving love, and it's easy to go, we can go check that off with an activity or a thing we do, or we can go meet those needs. But part of it's that you're going to have to admit that you have some needs. <laughs> if this is going to be a family, it's going to have to be loving and being loved. <laughs> sharing and listening to sharing. Second point is prayer. So here's how Paul ends that little section. He actually tells them that the reason he wanted all of them to be in on the affliction and suffering is verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. In other words, if I keep this to myself, who gets to know that God's working? Me. I get to know. And it's great. I love when God works and I see Him work. How much more if you let other people in and they pray for you and God works and you get to say, God answered your prayers. Right? Many give thanks for the way that he works. The first response to when people share should simply be good listening and prayer. So if you go, I'm not trained, I'm not equipped, I don't know what to do when it gets messy, I don't know what to say, just don't say anything. It's okay. Right? Job's friends did their best work when they just sat there and they listened. Just listen. You don't have to say anything. And then you can say, can we pray together? And if all you can pray is, Jesus, we need your help. It's that simple. <laughs> right? you, you don't need a degree. You don't need any kind of class to do that. God gets glory as he meets his people in all their brokenness, pain and sin and hopelessness through the prayers of their brothers and sisters. This is Godward love. It's a love that moves towards hardship and pain and sin and goes together with that brother or sister to King Jesus, laying it all at his feet. 
God loves to work through the prayers of His people and surprise them with grace. So there's share, prayer, and then care. And I'm just going to talk about two aspects of care and then we'll be done. First, I want to talk about physical and practical care. So same book, one chapter before. Here's 1 John three, sixteen to 18. John says, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So then you say, John, what does that look like? What do you mean? And he says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. As we, as people share and as we pray with them, the love of Christ makes us eager to just like let go of our stuff. Like, let go of our stuff. And by stuff I mean our time, our money, our resources, and move towards other in need. We are to adorn the gospel of the self-giving, costly love by demonstrating self-giving, costly love. Right? It is easy to say, I'll pray for you and never pray. It is easy to say, that's hard. I'll pray for you. I hope you really do pray. And the next day would be, hey, I want to pray for you. That's the most important thing we can do is go to God together. What can I do? <laughs> Life's hard right now. Could I, could I bring you a meal? Could I take you out to coffee? Is there something you need done? What, what could I do? And just watch the love of Christ adorn the people of Christ in a way that goes, yeah, that's, that's what a gospel community looks like. Then finally, spiritual care. So listen to Hebrews three twelve to 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, this is a call to say we can't live this life alone. Uh, you, you can't be exhorted if nobody knows you. You can't be exhorted if no one kind of has a picture of your life. You can't be exhorted or exhort others if you live your life in this kind of isolated place as your own little unit with no one else seeing or getting to speak into it. The world is messy and broken and the world's sinful. Suffering is real. And we need, according to the Bible, not according to me, right? Blood-bought family is not original. But according to the Bible, what we need is places in our life where we share and we get prayer and we get spiritual care. Right? People who can help us orient our hearts back towards Jesus and remind us what's ultimately important. Relationships where you're known, loved, and cared for and you know, love, and care for others. Now, in all of this, uh, there's, there's just steps to take. Like, the first step might be come early to worship services and stay late and get to know some people, right? Go out to lunch with someone or take someone else out to lunch. Get on the, the meal train that our deacons do. And, man, there's nothing more precious than showing up and bringing a meal to someone who's just had a baby or just having a surgery and just getting to, to bless them and get to know them a little bit. So there's steps you can take. But the point is, if we're not willing to share the brokenness, if we're not willing to pray for each other, if we're not willing to move towards need, we can talk a really big game. <laughs> and the world's not going to know that we're disciples of Jesus. 
And all of this is meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to push us, all of us, towards God until the day we see Him face to face. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that the resurrection is real. <laughs> that's, where we're, that's where we're headed. The resurrection is real. Death has no final say. Death has no final victory. The resurrection is real. That's what marks us as a people. We have a living hope. And oh, how I want to demonstrate how good Jesus is <laughs> wherever I am until the day where that resurrection becomes reality for me and for you and to bring as many people with us as we can by our love for one another. So let me pray. So Jesus, you know, Lord, you know in this room uh, where people have been hurt before by brothers or sisters. You know the places that are harder for us to move towards because of past pain. You know the places where just dispositionally it's, it's not really how we're wired. Lord, you know all the barriers and all the, all the things that could keep us from entering into this kind of love for one another. And Lord, I just, I just pray that by your grace you just help us take whatever the next step is today. God, that we'd be a people that enters into the broken, messy, full of sin and suffering and pain places where self-giving, costly, expansive, and Godward love is most needed. God, help us be a people that believes in the power of redemption through self-giving love of Christ. Lord, help us not be self-protective. Help us not be um, eager to hang out only with people that are like us and agree with us and are easy and are worthy and lovable. Lord, help us to move towards those who are on the fringes and in hard places and take time, Lord, and help us to admit when we are those very people. Messy, broken, in need of love and care, Lord. And by your Spirit, would you sovereignly bring us to relationships and places that would help us all walk towards Jesus together. And Lord, do it in such a way that these cell cities and all the way to the nations, Lord, as they see, would know that we're followers of Jesus. And as we come to this table, Lord, help us bring any bitterness that we have against our brothers and sisters. Help us bring any past hurts that we have. Help us bring any struggles that we have today with sin that would keep us from engaging in love with other people. Help us bring any shame that we're living in that would keep us from walking into the light of another relationship. Lord, help us bring that all to the foot of the cross and find grace to help us walk in the light as you're in the light. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, 
spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.